Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, and we'll be in chapter number one tonight. The book of Jonah, chapter number one. And if you remember, if you weren't here last week, Jonah had decided he wasn't going to do what the Lord told him to do. The Lord told him to go to Tarsus. I mean, he told him to go to Nineveh, and he grabbed him a boat to Tarsus, heading the opposite way of Nineveh. And uh, he got on the boat that day, and uh, the seas were calm, the sun was shining, nice breeze in his face, and he thought everything was going great. Real easy to rebel against the Lord when everything's going great. But when things get tough, and the Lord can make them tough enough to, to get our attention when they get tough, uh, we're not so ready to rebel against the Lord. But, man, he, he, was, he was so at peace with himself that he went down to the hull of the boat and, and went sound asleep. And as far as he was concerned, everything was, was hunky-dory. He was, he was uh, in, in great shape. But, verse number 4 of chapter 1 of Jonah, but... This is one of those bad buts, for Jonah anyway. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. I mean, it was so bad, the tsunami waves the Lord sent in were so bad that uh, uh, the ship was about to be broken in half, and everybody on the ship was going to die. Now, as I mentioned last week, Remember those attributes of God that we see in this text. First of all, God's omniscient. I mean, God knew exactly what Jonah was doing. He knew exactly what he was trying to do. The Lord knows your thoughts before you think your thoughts. So you're not going to escape the Lord with some kind of plan of your own. There's, There's no way because he's omniscient. And not only is he omniscient, he's omnipresent. So Jonah wasn't going to run from the Lord by going to Tarshish, was he? No, the Lord was right there. The Lord laughed at Jonah when Jonah thought in his heart, man, I'm just going to run from the Lord. I'm going to get as far away from the Lord as I possibly can. You ever get like that sometimes where you think, man, I'm tired of the way the Lord is treating me. I'm just going to get as far away from him as I possibly can. You can't get away from him. He's omnipresent. You know what? I like the fact that the Lord is omnipresent because I need the Lord in every situation I'm in. And even when I'm mad at the Lord, I like the fact that the Lord is omnipresent. And the Lord is also omnipotent, and we see his omnipotence. He has all power. He has all knowledge. He has all, he's everywhere, and he has all power to do whatever he wants whenever he wants. He has supernatural power. He is the creator of the universe. If there's a storm on this earth, the Lord allows that storm, or it might be, as in this case, he brings that storm upon a people. Uh, uh, Remember what the Lord said in Amos, if there's a disaster that comes to the city, have I not brought it? And, and, And maybe he wasn't directly involved, but the very fact he allowed it to happen means that God was sovereign over any difficulty that comes to any city, any difficulty that comes now to any city or any person. The Lord's sovereign over that. The Lord allows that. And uh, so 
Uh, here he is as the creator. He sends this storm in upon this boat that Jonah's on, and uh, yeah, the storm is so strong that it's about to break up the boat. And uh, uh, he's going to discipline Jonah. But what's interesting to me here is why didn't he just sink the boat and get the whole thing over with? I mean, here were these pagan sailors, and here was Jonah, and he was going to put Jonah in the belly of a fish, and so just sink the boat, kill the sailors. I mean, why go through all this process? Because Jonah's still not going to obey him, even with the wind and the tempest and the, and the sinking of the ship. He's not going to obey him. So why go through this process? Let me tell you why. Because the Lord is the hound of heaven. He's not only concerned about Jonah here. He's got other plans working here in his web of, of mercy and grace. He's got plans for these sailors, these lost sailors. He's going to get these sailors saved. You know, God can even use your disobedience to serve him. God can use the worst situation you might be going through, the worst, those prayer requests that we just lifted up a while ago, all these people going through terrible situations. You ask why? Well, I guarantee you God's at work. God's at work doing something. It might not, may not be that the particular person we were praying for gets something out of it, but somebody's going to get something out of it. Somebody's going somebody's to be blessed by God. And so... Uh, here he is, He's, you, you'll see his plan here, because watch these mariners. Listen to what they do in verse number 5. It says, then the sailors were afraid. Now here's Jonah, he's sound asleep. He's the prophet of God, and he figured he's probably not going to die. But these sailors, they were afraid, and everyone cried out to what? His God. And notice that's not in caps. They weren't, they weren't believers. They were pagans. They worshipped pagan gods, and everyone had a different god, and they all cried out to their god, and, and uh, nothing happened. And so they threw the cargo, and it was, it was in the ship, and it, they threw it in the ship into the sea to lighten the load, but Jonah had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship, and he had laid down, and he was fast asleep. Oh, he was at rest. And here were these pagans. They were worried to death. And uh, uh, Jonah, he, they're praying to their God. He's not even praying. That's kind of amazing to me. At some point here, you would think, you're in this process of this storm, you would hear a prayer from Jonah. We're not going to hear a prayer from Jonah in this chapter. I mean, that, that ship's going to all but sink, and we're not going to hear a prayer from Jonah. We're not going to hear a prayer from Jonah until Jonah's in the belly of the whale or the belly of the fish. But uh, these pagans are praying. So the captain sees this guy, and he's fast asleep, and they're all praying to their gods, and nothing's happening. So look at verse number 6. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleepyhead? You sleeper? Who in the world are you? How can you be sleeping in this storm? Arise and call your god. Now, now that's, that would have been a really good thing to do at this point, because I guarantee what would have happened if Jonah said, All right. I'm, I'm going to Nineveh. Lord, please stop the storm. Boom, it would have stopped just like that. I believe it would have. But they, they, get, they tell Jonah, arise and call on your God. And I don't, believe, I don't believe Jonah does pray. I don't believe he prays at all because, it, because we would have that prayer right here. He doesn't pray. They say, arise and call on your God and perhaps your God will consider us so that we might not perish. And they said to one another, you know, Jonah didn't pray. And uh, they didn't know why this was happening. 
So they do a pagan thing. They, they roll the dice. They cast the lots to figure out who's at fault here. In verse number 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for, for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lot, and the lots fell upon Jonah. You know what? Even the dice are controlled by the Lord. He's sovereign over whether, if you're at the casino, whether you get a seven or whether you get an 11 or whether you get craps. He, he's, he's, I don't think God wins at craps. I don't think he plays craps, but he wins at life. He wins at life. That means he controls the dice if he wants to. And he takes what seems to be chance and he uses it to determine uh, an outcome that he chooses, to make a, an outcome that he chooses. God's in control of everything. And what seems to be chance to us is not chance. It's not chance at all. Lois and I were talking the other day. I love that line in the book of Ruth when, when uh, the author says, Ruth happened to come upon the field belonging to Boaz. Just happened to come upon that field belonging to Boaz. And, and from a human point, and the writer's writing this, from a human standpoint, it was chance that brought her to that field. But from God's standpoint, it wasn't chance at all. Because before the foundation of the world, God had chosen Ruth to be the great-grandmother of David, who was in the line of Jesus Christ, this, this Moabite woman, to become a, a, a pagan before she met Boaz, or, or Naomi, she was a pagan, this Gentile woman to be in the line of Jesus Christ. God had planned that before the foundation of the world. So her whole life that she thought was just a crapshoot, she's got a husband that dies, she goes up, they, they move around all over the place, uh, she lands back in, in Israel, and it looks just like she happened upon this field. God was orchestrating those circumstances for her to be at that field that day her whole life. He brought her to that point for such a time as that. And that's, that's the way he does in our life. Your life isn't a crapshoot. It might seem like you're taking chances. It might seem like there's a lot of things happening to you that don't make sense. But in God's view, and they're part of his sovereign will for your life. And uh, he's going to make something good happen out of whatever happened to you. That's why the Bible says very clearly in Romans chapter 8, all things work together for the good of the Lord and those who are called and to those who are called according to his purpose. If you're a child of God, everything that's happening to you is working for your good. I mean, here was Jonah. The ship's about to sink. It's about to break in half. Was that working for his good? If you had asked Jonah, he would have said no, but was that working for you? You better believe it was. God was trying to save his soul. I believe at this point, I don't, I believe at this point he was lost. I don't think he gets saved until he's in the belly of the well. I don't think he has any any respect for God at all, any reverence for God at all. He's a prophet for hire. He was working for Jeroboam. But he's about to get saved. And here are these men. They're casting lots. They're taking a chance. And just so happens that the lot falls upon Jonah. And you know what? You would think at this point they would have taken Jonah right then and there and thrown him overboard and, and gotten rid of this curse on their boat. At least is what they saw, perceived as a curse on their boat, and actually he was. But they actually have more character than Jonah does. 
Because look at what it says. They said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and, what, uh, and uh, of what are, people are you of? Now, that's pretty amazing that they didn't even know who Jonah was. I mean, this, is a, this guy is famous. He's a historical character. He was a, probably a pretty important prophet in Israel during his day. But they didn't have a clue as to who he was. He was a Jew from Israel. They didn't have a clue. Why did they not have a clue? Because he hadn't told them. Where was he when all this was happening? Was he out there witnessing to these people saying, look, I serve the Lord God who creates the universe and he can stop this storm. If he doesn't stop this storm, he can take us all to heaven. Was he doing any of that? No, he was hiding in the hull of a boat fast asleep. So he had no witness. Here was this great opportunity to witness to these people through this great storm, and here he is fast asleep. You know, we've just finished the book of Jude. We're talking about the age in which we live, this great age of apostasy. And there's a real tendency for us as believers to go hide ourselves in the hull of a boat somewhere and be fast asleep when there's a storm raging out there in this world and, and, and God's called us to be witnesses. People should know that we're Christians at our workplace. People should know in our families that we're Christian. And, and again, I believe we witness as we have opportunity, but, but we shouldn't be in denial. We shouldn't be hiding the fact. I mean, Jonah shouldn't have been hiding the fact that he was in a Jew, that he was a prophet of Israel, he should have been telling these people that at this point. But he didn't. So uh, finally he confesses who he is. Listen to what he says in verse number 9. He says, so he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Now he was true on one account, he was lying on another account. He was a Hebrew, but he did not fear the Lord. He did not have a reverent fear of the Lord. That's a good and healthy thing to have, by the way, a reverent fear for the Lord. If you don't have that and you're a born-again believer, you'll have it at some point, I trust me, where you fear God. You fear God in a loving way, but you do fear God. You understand that God is all those things, that he's omniscient, that he's He's omnipresent, that he's omnipotent, that he has all power to do whatever he wants. And when he calls us to do something, he's serious about calling us to do something, he wants us to do it. And do it his way. So he says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear God, the God who, of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land, the one who brought this storm upon us. This is the God I serve. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. I mean, they were a lot more afraid than Jonah was at this point. And they said to him, why have you done this? For the man knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So part of his narrative that we don't get here, he told them that God had called him to go to Nineveh and he had taken this boat to go to Tarshish. And so they, they say, and this is the God that brought this storm. This is the, you believe, you fear this God, you say this God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and you rebelled against this God? That doesn't make any sense. Why have you done, why have you done this? And then he says in verse number 11, he, you know, they said, you're going to get us all killed. And so they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? And the, and the sea was going, growing more and more 
tempestuous. Now, what, God, what is God doing right here? He's just gradually cutting up the heat. He's turning up the volume on this storm. And he's making it worse and worse and worse, trying to get Jonah to do the right thing. And so uh, Jonah comes to his senses, I think, at this point. He realizes that his vacation is over. He's not going to run from God. And I believe, like I said earlier, at this point he could have stopped. He could have prayed and he said, uncle. That's all he had to say, uncle. I've had enough. I, I understand. I do fear you now. And, and Lord, I don't want to see these men die. But he's so self-centered and so into himself that he would rather die than do God's will. That's well, a terrible place to be. And, and, and if I was looking at this story at this point, I would say it was impossible to save Jonah. Impossible. This guy's just too hard-hearted to save. I mean, if you'd rather die than do God's will. I mean, here he is facing death, and he would rather die than to do God's will. Then he's in pretty, he's a pretty bad case. And you see people like that. You see people who go visit people in the hospitals, and you see these lost people. They would rather die than serve God. They really don't know God yet. They really don't understand what it is who God is. They don't understand what a lot of people don't understand, that death doesn't give you an escape from God. You can't commit suicide and escape from God. Can you imagine, you know, people ask me all the time, or have asked me in the past, not all the time, but when you hear of a believer, a so-called believer, uh, committing suicide, do you think they're saved? Well, I think you could be saved to do just what Jonah was doing right here. So I believe you could commit suicide and be saved, but it's a stupid thing to do. It's a selfish thing to do because you leave a tragedy behind for your family and all your friends. But worse than that, guess what happens the moment you die? If you're a believer, you're in the presence of God. You're talking about arriving with your pants down. I mean, in an embarrassing situation, I mean, you get, you, 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 you get before God and, how humbling would that be? What did I do that for? And so he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of you. So kill me, Lord. Just kill me. And calm the sea and spare these people. I, I'm going to die anyway, so uh, at least uh, you, can, you can help them. And again, these people were more noble than Jonah. They, they didn't throw him. As soon as he said, said that, you would think they would have thrown him in the sea. But look at verse number 11. Nevertheless, the man rode harder and harder and harder. Guess what God does? He turns up the volume of the storm. Harder and harder and harder, or hotter and hotter and hotter, however you want to look at it. Nevertheless, the man rode hard to return to the land, but they could not. The sea continued to grow more temptuous tempestuous, I'm sorry, against them. And so they realize at this point that their only hope, if they're going to survive, is to cast Jonah into the sea. But you know what? I believe at this point these men are more of, of what you would say would be believers than Jonah is. 
Look at, look at what it says. It says, verse number 14, it says, Therefore they cried out to the Lord God. And listen to what they cry. They, we pray, O Lord. Now that's a, a weak translation. It's El Yahweh. We pray God Yahweh. In other words, we're not praying our God pagan gods. They didn't name any pagan gods along with Yahweh. They named him God Yahweh, El Yahweh, the God Yahweh, the God of Jonah. Please do not let us perish for this man's life because we're going to throw him overboard to appease your anger. But don't charge us for innocent blood because we're not at fault here. Jonah's at fault here. We don't intend to do harm here. Stop us. I'm sure that's what they were saying. If you don't want us to throw him overboard. But uh, uh, we're going to throw him overboard and don't charge us for his blood. For you, El Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. You know what? That's a great statement right there. They understand God. God does what he pleases. He does what he wants when he wants. He does that in your life. He does that in my life. And I, I, you know, I guess I'm learning this over the years. A lot of our prayers are trying to get God to do what we want instead of what he wants, and that ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. My, my wife will hear this and correct my English. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. If, if we're praying for something that maybe God moves in a different direction is because that's his will and he wants us to pray that way like he did with Moses. He got him to, Moses prayed and really God wanted him to pray. He wanted him to have that heart. He prayed for the Israelites when God was about to destroy them and just make a new nation. And he interceded on their behalf and, and, that, and God answered that prayer because that was God's will. He didn't want to destroy the nation. But if it's not God's will, we're not going to change what God's going to do. He's done as he is pleased. He's always done as he is pleased. And then verse number 15, here we go. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And as soon as he hit the water, the sea ceased from raging. Jonah. Jonah's thinking, here I go. I've got a few more minutes to live, and it's all over. He thought, I've come to my end. I've succeeded in my rebellion against God. No, he hadn't at all. But let's go back to the story of these men. Now, they had to, man, their jaws had to drop. When Jonah hit that water and the storm stopped just like that, they had to say, man, El Yahweh, you talk about a God. We've never seen a gun, one of our gods do something like that. We're going to worship and serve this God the rest of our lives. And so these men were saved through Jonah's disobedience, through this whole process, because look at what happened. He says, then the man feared the Lord exceedingly, more than Jonah did, much more so than Jonah did. Jonah didn't fear the Lord. They feared the Lord. The storm had ended, but now they really feared the Lord. You think they didn't think that maybe another God could bring another storm along if he wanted to in their lives? So they feared the Lord. They saw the power of the Lord. They saw the, 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 the grace of the Lord in all of this. And they feared the Lord. And what did they do? They did the right thing. They did what Abel did. They didn't, they didn't think, well, God had saved them because they were good people. They knew they weren't good people. 
the fact these probably were nasty old sailors, hard drinking, hard cursing, hard gambling sailors. You knew they were throwing lots to determine what happened with, with Jonah, who lived and who didn't live. And so, and so all of a sudden, they realize that God has spared their lives and they don't deserve it. You know, that's how you get saved. Jonah thought he deserved everything. He thought he was, he was God's gift to, to Israel. He thought he deserved all the good things that had happened to him. And these men knew they didn't deserve being spared. And so what did they do? They did the only thing they could possibly think of doing. They offered up a sacrifice because they knew they didn't deserve it. And even though that wasn't at the temple, even though it wasn't done as it's prescribed in Leviticus, they were doing their hearts were right, and by faith, they were coming to the Lord the way they should come to the Lord, through sacrifice. And not only that, they took vows. They took vows. I have no doubt at that point, they said, El Yahweh, you are our God from, that, from, from now on until forever. You're our God. We vow to serve you. We vow to love you. We repent of our sins, and we want to be part of your kingdom from now on. All because of Jonah. See why God didn't bust up the boat right in the beginning and just kill everybody and send Jonah into the well? Because he was saving these men. Because look what happens next. Now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I'm not going to waste your time tonight trying to figure out whether this was a shark or whether it was a whale or whether it was some other dinosaur fish or something God had prepared. We don't know. We don't know. We, we, we can't be sure. I have a hunch it's a whale. That's my... God prepared a well, a special well that would swallow Jonah. And there's no problem with a well swallowing Jonah. But I can tell you right now, if God wanted to take a little minnow and he wanted to shrink Jonah down to the size he could fit in that minnow's belly, he could do it just like that. If he wanted to, to prepare a, a, a unique fish, the first time that fish ever existed in the water, all he had to do was speak and that fish would be there and be able to swallow Jonah. God, God can do anything he wants anytime. He wants. And if you have to have a naturalistic explanation for this, if you've got to go to the history books and find out where some guy was swallowed by a whale and he lived for a day and they cut him out and, and see it can happen, I don't, that doesn't, that might be the case. The miracle here to me isn't that he was swallowed by a whale. The miracle here to me is he lived, he, 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 he lived there three days and three nights or was dead in there three days and three nights. He was alive for a while because he's going to say a prayer. And then Guess where the well spit him out at? On the shores of Nineveh. That's the miracle to me. Now, if you can find me in the history books where some guy was swallowed, was heading to, supposed to be heading to New York, and he was heading to London, and the well picked him up and coughed him out in New York, then I'll, you know, maybe we can come up with a naturalistic explanation for this. But there isn't anything naturalistic about this. This is all supernatural. This is the supernatural will of God. God prepared a fish. 
And, and the Hebrew word there is great fish. It's not well. So, so it's some kind of great fish. And God prepared it, and there he was uh, in the belly of the well for three days and three nights. And let me tell you what's going to happen to him during those three days and three nights. The unwilling prophet is going to become the willing prophet. The one who will do God's will to what he should have done in the first place. Look, there's no escaping the calling of God. No escaping the calling of God. What God calls us to do, we're going to do it one way or the other. Now, he won't call you sometimes, but if he calls you to do something, you're going to do it. And, And you can't run from the call of God. And if you do, God's going to prepare a well of a problem for you. That's why, you know, to me, I want to always be in the will of God. I don't want to move anywhere, take any job, or make any major decision in my life that I haven't gotten a word from God. And I believe God will always give you a word, a clear word, if you ask him. Or otherwise, you end up in the belly of a well. Maybe not literally but one well of a problem. And, and God's still there with you. But it's a lot easier to just submit to the will of God when God calls us to do something. So here's Jonah. He's boarded a boat, headed to Tarshish. In the direct opposite direction God called him to go. Now he's making a connection in his travel plans, on a new mode of transportation, a well. And that well is going to transport him back to where he was supposed to go, all the way to the shores of Nineveh, and he's going to spit him out, and Jonah's going to do what the Lord told him to do. And you imagine what a guy looked like who had been in the belly of a whale three days and three nights. You think maybe the people wouldn't listen to that guy? So God knows what he's doing here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you always know what you're doing. Even in those times when the storms come and things don't seem to make sense and we're rocked to and fro and we don't have a clue of what you're doing, Lord, we can just hang on and trust you that everything's going to be all right and Lord, if we're out of your will, we need to get in your will. And, and then, Lord, we know that we're gonna, you're going to see us through whatever we're going through. We just thank you for that the great truth, Lord, that, that, uh, the great truths about your grace and your mercy and just how you're, you're working through all sorts of situations. Lord, even when we're disobedient, even when we're, we're not in your will, you still can use us. You still can use us as examples to, to show people what it's like to be out of your will. So, Lord, we don't want to be those kind of examples. We, we want a different witnessing plan. So, Lord, we just have to ask you to, to keep us in your will. Keep us there and, and uh, bless us there, and may we bless you by our obedience. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen.